both of us are kind of similar that way where I think we're not uh, we're not super motivated by doing the same thing day in day out and so I love the ability to kind of look at my business in terms of seasons where it's like this quarter I want to focus on my course and I want to you know put some energy into that and I think what happens with that is you get sort of renewed energy right so I think it's just been you know listening to what we each need and listening to what lights us up within our different projects and trying to say how can we get more of that how could we how could we design for that on purpose what would that look like to scale or not to scale that's not really the question at least it's not the first question you need to ask about the direction you want to take your business as we mentioned in episode 232 sean and i are choosing to prepare our new company for scale because it'll help us live the lifestyle we want to live and do the kinds of work we want to do Callie Willows mentioned in our last episode that one of the reasons the Member Site Academy works so well for the membership guys is that it supports the lifestyle her and her partner want. Coaching and consulting just wouldn't. She also talked about how building a membership site has allowed her to thrive as an introvert. So maybe the real questions are what kind of life do you want to lead and what kind of work lights you up, allows you to thrive? Unfortunately, it's all too easy to get caught up in the hype or even the anti-hype around scaling and miss those questions. You're listening to What Works, the show that asks the hard questions about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Today, my guest is Marie Poulin, our first three-time guest here on the pod. Marie is not someone to miss the important questions. Her and her husband, Ben, are building okie-dokie with the life and work they want to lead top of mind. That choice has brought them face-to-face with some scrutiny from people with the scale-or-die mindset. Marie recently wrote a lengthy article about her choice not to scale, or at least not to scale in any conventional way. So of course, I wanted to bring her on the show while we're covering scale to talk about just that. Marie and I chat about the hybrid business model Okie Doki has developed, the cocktail party conversation that shook her up, how she approaches finding an equilibrium with her energy, and how her focus on profitability has paid off. Now, let's find out what works for Marie Poulin. Marie Poulin, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so I'd love to have you set the stage for this conversation by just kind of letting everyone know the kinds of products and services that your company offers today. Yeah, so I work with my husband, Ben, and so we both sort of handle different services, but we do a lot of strategy work, we do design work, we build mobile apps, we have courses of our own, um, we do uh, uh, retainers and implementation work as well, launch support, so there's a lot of different pieces that we handle between the two of us. And how many, like on average, how many clients are you working with between the two of you at any given time? Ooh, that, I would say that ranges wildly depending on the time of year, <laughs> but I would say um, at the moment, probably four really larger core clients and then maybe a few other sort of smaller um, one-off, at least for me. And then Ben will often have, um, I mean, Ben handles the software side of things. So um, he has fewer one-on-one clients, but he does tend to have like maybe two on the go at any one time. Okay, cool. And then tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about the online courses that you guys offer. 
Yeah. So in the past, the first one I ever created was Digital Strategy School, which I ran for a couple of years and then put on hold and planned to revamp it. But then we launched our software around the same time and very quickly realized I was not going to be able to kind of put all of my energy into both of these things. So we temporarily shut down Digital Strategy School and I focused on um, actually building a course that would support our software. So uh, Run Your Learning Launch was the program that I developed because we noticed as people were signing up for the software, um, people would sign up for Doki way before they were ready to deliver a course, way, way before. So they were sort of like testing out the tech. And I think people were assuming the tech would kind of help them get to launch. And it kind of showed us there was an opportunity to help people through that process a little bit. So I developed this course, Run Your Learning Launch, I ran it as a mastermind a couple times, turned it into a self-study. Um, and then that kind of opened up the door to new services to kind of actually help people and hold their hand through the process of launching. Um, so that's that's sort of a course that's existing and kind of running at the moment very casually behind the scenes. And then um, one that I m most recently launched was Design Your Productized Offer. And so that's a, a course that I'm beta testing with a really small group of people now. And uh, it still kind of ties in with courses. It's like, how can we take what people are doing in a services capacity and productize it a little bit and kind of turn it into an off-the-shelf offer so that it's a little bit more leveraged and a little bit easier to deliver? Yeah, I love that. So just over a year ago, we had you on the show and we were talking, um, I think specifically we were talking about your hybrid business model, hybrid between products and services. And so, you know, people can go and listen to that episode for kind of the full scoop on that. But I'd love to have you give us sort of the cliff notes version of why running a hybrid business, exactly what you're talking about here, where you and Ben are both servicing one-to-one -one clients, doing strategy work and at the same time, building out software and building out information products. Talk about why that model works for you guys so well and, and kind of how you landed on the decision to build out a hybrid model like that. Ooh, that's that's funny too because I wouldn't have necessarily known initially that that was a conscious decision, but I think both Ben and I thrive with having different kinds of challenges you know, pretty consistently. So, mm -hmm. and especially in Ben's case, if he's working on our software, you know, he worked on that for two, three years, almost full time. Um, he might've had like one or two clients on the go um, at any given time, but most of his effort was spent building the software. And so that repetition and that kind of day-to-day -day working on the same things, I think Ben needed more interesting technical challenge. He needed more, um, yeah, just more of a challenge. And so I think he thrives where he can really throw himself into a really difficult technical challenge. That's where he thrives. And so both of us are kind of similar that way, where I think we're not uh, we're not super motivated by doing the same thing day in, day out. And so I love the ability to kind of look at my business in terms of seasons, where it's like this quarter, I want to focus on my course and I want to you know put some energy into that. And I think what happens with that is you get sort of renewed energy, right? Like when I put my course on hold for a while and was focused on software, was focused on, on clients, and then I relaunched this new um you know, course on designing your productized offer, I felt like I came alive again. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot mentorship. This is so exciting. Um, and so I think different types of projects fulfill different needs for, for both of us. And I personally, I know that I need connection with people. That is like 100% why I get up in the morning is I love the feeling. I love hopping on calls. I know a lot of people don't like 
um, having too many meetings and, and, you know, I don't either, but I need that human connection and I need to feel like I'm helping someone make progress. That's very, very motivating for me. So I think it's just been, you know, listening to what we each need and listening to what lights us up within our different projects and trying to say, how can we get more of that? How could we, how could we design for that on purpose? What would that look like? And what would an ideal, um, what would an ideal day look like for us? What would an ideal year look like for us? How much do we each want to earn? What does this look like? And we've just been really introspective about that process and just trying to adapt along the way to say, okay, well, that's, that's too many clients. Let's, you know, shrink that down a little bit. Four seems really good, you know? And so it's just been a process. Awesome. Um, well, that really does give us, I think, a lot of context on where we want to take the rest of the conversation, which is talking about scale and the choices that you guys have very intentionally made around scale. Um, but to have that conversation, I'm going to need to have you tell us a story. And that story <laughs> is what happened at MicroConf this year that led you to starting sort of a much bigger conversation about scale as it applies to service-based businesses. Yeah, so I was at MicroConf this year, and it's an awesome conference. I've been going for four years, and this year I was there as their community ambassador. So, you know, sort of there to make people feel welcome and included. And um, and really the purpose of MicroConf is to uh, – it's a conference for self-funded or, you know, uh, bootstrapped startups. Most of them tended to be in the product space, but, um, you know, with developers and that sort of thing. And so I sort of felt like a bit of an outsider already being someone who's mostly services-based but has – product. Um, so of course, I'm there to grow my product. I'm there to, you know, learn from other people and to see what, uh, you know, see what different types of software businesses look like. And so I ran into someone at the bar and he asked me what I did. And I said, you know, we have the software for course creators, but admittedly, a lot of our or most of our income actually comes from our client services and our, and our products, um, online course products. And the first thing out of his mouth was, but that doesn't scale. Uh, I don't even think I, I learned his name. It was literally the first thing out of his mouth. It was it was just very surprising to me because it, it just it felt like a little bit of a slap in the face. Like it like why would anyone not want to you know to be a giant scaled up software? And that was so interesting to me because um, you know there's plenty of, of competitors in in our space, and I have no I have no desire actually to be like our competitors who who maybe have much further reach, much more of a household name. But that is not remotely appealing to either Ben or I, because, again, as a small team, we know we know what's involved at getting to that level and we're not interested in what it's going to take to get there. So I thought that was I just thought it was really interesting. And it got me thinking, like, is that true? Are services not scalable? And what does that mean? What does that look like? And I was kind of it was like rattling around in my head and um I just, I was like wondering, like, why is this kind of chewing at me? Why is this bothering me? And, you know, I, I put it out into the What Works Network. And it was just really interesting to hear, um, you know, the variety of opinions and, and sort of thoughts around that. And people threw out examples like an architecture firm or, you know, a law firm and things like that. There's tons of examples of scalable service models. So admittedly, I was in a product space, you know, I was in a software space. So maybe everyone is kind of looking at everything through the same lens. But I just, it kind of opened up a bigger conversation for me about like, yeah, what is, what does it mean to want to scale as a service based business? And, and what does that look like? So it's, um, yeah, I don't know if you if you wanted to chime in on any, any of that. But that's kind of how it started. Yeah, I mean, I would love to know more. <laughs> like reading your article on the story and kind of being part of the conversation inside the network and, and even other places, um, 
it was clear that in this interaction with this person, you felt condescended to. You felt that this person was judging you for the way your business was running and for uh, the choices that you have made. Yeah. Um, and I, I would love to know more about that. Not necessarily why you feel condescended to, because I think we can <laughs> acknowledge that, that, yeah, that that's very real. If that's the way you felt, that's the way you felt because he made you feel that way. But I guess what I'm curious is about is like, why, why is, why is that culture of judgment around service-based businesses? Why does that exist in this 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 market, the mm. sphere that you were engaging with at the conference. Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty common sentiment. I think there's this. Um, I hear it from a lot of different developers who are working on their software products. Like, oh, I can't wait to get away from clients. I can't wait to like cut out client work, and and they're really excited about that. And um, I don't know. You know, I want to be I want to be careful about this conversation too because sure. in my my anecdotal experience um, I've noticed it's a very it's a very male heavy space mm-hmm. and in, in talking to some of my uh, you know male friends in different masterminds many of them said um, I think men tend to lean toward wanting to solve problems whereas a lot of women tend to lean toward working with people. And it, it, there may be some element of our natural inclinations there where, um, and again, like this is not all men or all women, There's, but there's something interesting there about, you know, are we hard, hardwired in a different way? And um, th- that's just been an, a conversation I've noticed as being somewhat different in very female heavy communities versus male heavy communities. I don't know if it's a gender related thing or not, but it's something I've noticed. Um, and I just think there's also this sort of, the passive income dream, you know, everyone thinks they're going to build a software, they're going to build a SaaS, and it's going to mean not doing any work, and they can sit back and and earn that passive income. And that is hilariously not true at all. (laughs) So I have lots of opinions about that. Yeah, I I mean, that's pretty much the theme of this whole month. (laughs) I don't know where I don't know where this interview specifically is going to fall in the month. But listen, listen to all of our episodes on scale, that's going to be the theme. After a quick break, you'll hear why a well-rounded perspective on the different ways businesses can make money has served Marie well. But first, a word from our WhatWorks partners. WhatWorks is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Let's make this fall the season you embrace simplicity for yourself, your business, and for your customers. Enough with all the apps and workarounds. It's time to bring your business and your customers together in one meaningful place online. That's where Mighty Networks comes in. When you start your own Mighty Network, you're creating a home for your business and your customers away from the hustle and bustle of traditional social media and free from the convoluted workarounds of the online education and coaching space. You suddenly have one place for your customers to hang out and meet each other. One place for your online courses, programming, or content. One place for managing your payments and customer database. Pretty simple, right? Now here at What Works, Mighty Networks has drastically simplified our business. Our Mighty Network has given us a way to deepen our relationships with our customers, build stronger foundations for our company, and create the potential for almost unlimited recurring revenue. Ready to simplify your business? Give Mighty Networks a try today. Start absolutely free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. WhatWorks is also brought to you by the WhatWorks Network. 
Now, there's a lot of hype out there about running and growing a small business today. It's exciting. It's sexy. And the algorithms at our favorite social media sites are designed to deliver those exciting, sexy headlines to us day in and day out. Grow your business to seven figures in seven weeks. How to 10x your followers overnight. Why bots are the key to never having to talk to another human being again. Okay, sure. But what's really going on? That's the question we always come back to here at What Works. We've made it our job to provide the platform, curate the stories, and make the real connections between small business owners that allow the truth to rise to the surface. This month we're spending on scale is no exception. We're looking at the wide variety of options that you have for running your business more effectively and efficiently and scaling your capacity to make more money. Conversations like these are exactly what happens inside the What Works Network. Only instead of being on the outside listening in, you're on the inside participating in the conversation. This month, we're hosting a day-long live conversation about scaling up. It's a virtual conference featuring boots-on-the-ground experience and interactive sessions. You'll hear from Claire Pelletro on scaling up your marketing with advertising. You'll hear from Maggie Patterson on scaling a service-based business without losing the service. You'll hear from Natalie Gingrich about scaling your operations, and you'll hear from Christina Sholly about managing your cash flow while you scale. Personally, I can't wait. The Scaling Up Virtual Conference is only for members of the What Works Network. If you're not a member of the What Works Network yet, now is the time to join us. We're opening the door soon to new members. To find out when we do, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. So I see a lot of kind of correlation between the software world and the development world that you're talking about and the information marketing world. And you have a really interesting perspective in that you have your feet uh, sort of on both sides of the line between those things because your software and the development that you guys do tends to be around information-based products. So I'm curious your perspective, what you've observed with maybe even with your own clients in terms of a proclivity or a desire to scale and move away or to quote unquote scale and move away from client-based services? Or is there conflict there? Is it something that it feels like everybody wants to do there? I just, I guess I'm curious about your observations and the kind of comparing contrast between the two industries. Yeah. I mean, of course, a lot of people that I work with are, are looking to just make their businesses easier, mm-hmm. right? Like they're just, they're, they're tapped out. They're probably working with too many clients or just have way too many projects on the go. And they're looking for a little bit of ease. Um, so usually in that process, I work with them to figure out, uh, you know, is that a course, you know, is that most of the times people aren't coming to us to build software. Cause we will usually talk them out of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Ben does that all the time. And he's like, do you have the assets and the resources to do this in a long-term capacity? Because here's what it's going to take. And he can lay that out for people. And they're like, Oh, okay. Maybe this like smaller web project over here makes a lot more sense. Um, so what's great about that is like, we have a really, really well-rounded perspective. We've made our own courses. We've made courses for other people. Like we've made our own software. We've helped other people with their software. Um, We work with people one-on-one and we help other people work with other people one-on-one. So we've, we've really seen a really interesting, I think, well-rounded perspective of different ways that people can make money and that it's different for different people. So some people are so great and can actually make really great revenue on their one-on-one services. Whereas other people, it's, 
it's a lot harder. Maybe their pipeline isn't quite the same. Their personality is different. So I think um, we just managed to see so much that I think we're able to give really more effective feedback and sort of recommendations to people to say, hey, here's what we've seen work for these kinds of businesses. And also, here's something really interesting that worked in this industry over here. What could we learn from that and take and apply to your business? So I think that's that's kind of been our advantage in a way is we've just seen so much that we can often kind of pull interesting ideas from different approaches and industries and apply them to someone else. Oh, that is my favorite way to look at things. I love that. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm curious how you personally define scale at this point. I think in its simplest form, it's just the capacity to grow. You know, are, are yeah, like are the right are the right conditions in place? Is it um do you have the capacity to earn more money to bring bring in more team members if need be. Like I think scale can look different, of course, for different businesses. Um, for a SaaS company, it might mean uh, bringing in more monthly users, more monthly revenue. Of course, that might mean we might need another service person. Mm-hmm. Do we need to bring in another developer? So, um, you know, again, Ben and I have a sense of what it would take if we really wanted to grow Doki. And I don't think either of us are that uh I guess, committed or interested or willing to do the work that it would take. Like, do I want to spend my days doing that kind of outreach or doing the marketing and sales that it would require to grow that base? I don't know that the effort going in would would equal the, the right effort going out. Whereas with services, for example, it's so much easier for me to sell a $3,000 a month retainer than it is to get someone to pay $30 a month for software. Yeah. So it's like, at some point, you kind of have to look at what are the inputs and outputs and what's going to make the most sense. And also, where do we get the most joy and excitement and which parts of the process do we really enjoy? I mean, sure, we could hire someone to um, handle parts of the content marketing or you know run demos or things like that. We could do that for sure. It's just a matter of we have limited resources and where do we want to spend them and, and how can we do it in a way that um, you know Doki can still grow and there's like a... you know nice trickle of income over there, but it's not where the majority of our revenue is coming from. So I think for us, we just value that capacity to choose and and having the freedom to choose where we spend our time is really important to us. So, you know, I I think that's sort of a long-winded way of answering your question, but I think it's the capacity to grow if need be. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, In the article that you wrote on this experience that you had at MicroConf and and then the kind of ensuing conversations that you had afterwards, because you did just a really masterful job of getting lots of different people's perspectives and then Mm. kind of bringing them together and sharing your own experience alongside of those perspectives. You, You talked a lot about making the choice for sustainability. Um, And Mm. it felt like you were saying, or the way I read it was that it seemed like you were choosing sustainability instead of scale. And it made me wonder, and this is not an antagonizing question in any way, yet like I was really, really curious, do you believe sustainability and scale are mutually exclusive or can they exist at the same time? And if so, what are kind of, maybe what are the roots of that even in the business that you have now? 
Yeah, no, I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. And I, I'm not even necessarily, you know, railing against scale necessarily. It's just sort of this idea of like scale at any cost, like mm-hmm. scale, 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 like it's this ultimate goal. Um, but you could be a scalable business and not be profitable. And so um, I think for me, sustainability is more about um, what is the relationship between the energy inputs and outputs? Um, you know, can, like, what is my what does my energy even look like as I'm growing this business? Does it it feel good. That's important to me. So, um, you know, if you think of a, a gardening analogy, like you can't force the garden to turn into this paradise overnight. Like there is a certain equilibrium. And I do think a lot of businesses, depending on their size, depending on the type of team members they have, they're, they're going to find there's going to be a natural equilibrium, I think, and it's going to be different for every business. For some people, it might be, you know, having one CEO, a CTO, a designer, a debt, like there's going to be a certain almost like magical combination of people and types of people that's going to be the most optimal, where things are running really well, profit is really high, you're making that impact, and it looks really great. And you might get to a point where if you tried to scale bigger, you're actually um, compromising other parts of the system. Mm. So, and I think, again, that looks different for every person. As a two-person team, of course, we can't do as much as a hundred-person company. Like, we can't do that. But the things that we want to do and be able to do and the types of people we want to work with, it works for us. Like as Ben said, we punch above our weight, which I think is really true. Um, but so I think, again, scale and, and sustainability is going to look different for every different type of business. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned profitability just now. Um, and that was another thing that uh, sort of a recurring theme in the article that you wrote is that, you know, these businesses that are scaling at, at any cost and every cost um, often are not profitable. Um, and they're kind of not profitable by design very often, um, yeah. at least initially. How do you guys, what is your strategy for ensuring profitability, prioritizing profitability in a way that also allows for sustainability and sort of uh, keeping in line with your ethical compass? Because I know you have a very strong ethical compass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're... Um... You know, we have goals in terms of what do we actually really want to earn to be able to thrive and, you know, put away for retirement and um, our priorities and travel and things like that. Like, what does that actually look like when we get into the nitty gritty of the numbers? And then what does that actually take? on a monthly basis. And, you know, even between Ben and I, sometimes we'll, we'll shift gears. It'll be like, okay, Ben's focus is like really earning money this quarter so that Marie can focus on product development and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so we'll switch off a little bit. Um, but we're, we're, you know, we're regularly in touch in terms of those goals and saying like, okay, we know we need to hit this amount each month if we're going to hit this goal over here. And um, sometimes that looks a bit different. We don't look at it necessarily month by month, but we know certain seasons are going to be more profitable, right? Because I know this this course is launching or I know um, this client is starting in September and I know we have a really large monthly retainer with them. So we know we're going to hit those goals. Um, and the fact that we do have a lot of retainer work really helps us you know, plan, okay, here's what, what the next six months, year is probably going to look like. And so um, it, in a way, it's almost like it doesn't matter where the revenue comes from, but we track it, of course, and, and our, you know, one-on-one client services are really where the majority of revenue comes from. And it's where I tend to have the most fun. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. But... <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, all right. I think I want to talk a little bit about 
systems because you've definitely mentioned systems a few times. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about the situation that you were in with microconf and what scale means to me, two of the words that came to me were efficiency and effectiveness, right? And mm-hmm. and thinking through how you build capacity to increase efficiency and also at the same time, increase effectiveness too, which often I think people don't take into account, right? They assume that scale equals becoming slightly less effective. And that's sort of a trade-off that you make when you scale. And I I like thinking about scale as in how do we actually make this product better because more people are using it? Or how do we make this business better because we have the capacity to serve more clients? So um, I'm just I'm curious um, what kind of systems you guys have developed over the last few years, whether they're big picture systems or you know, I, I love hearing about nitty gritty systems um, <laughs> that have allowed you to serve your clients and your customers more effectively and efficiently. Yeah, well, I mean, you might have read one of the larger posts I wrote too about Notion, because that's a big yeah. change that that we made was like changing our own uh, project management systems, task management systems, how we collect information, um, and even one of the, the major changes that has come out of, of moving away from um, Asana. Like Asana is a great you know to do list manager. That's great, um, but we found moving all of our systems over to Notion um, has been a total game changer for the way that I work on a daily basis and feel really organized. Um, And one awesome thing that has come out of that is um, strategic roadmaps are actually probably the first and only way that people would work with me. And what I've done is created this really awesome template in Notion um, that I can create a new client duplicate template and all of these sort of um, starting points are already there, you know, embedded, embedded galleries and toggles and things like that. So I almost have an internal checklist of great, I know exactly what to do next. And there are parts of that that I can outsource to a virtual assistant and to say, hey, can you fill in these areas here? And I've sort of made that process a lot easier for myself so I can deliver those a lot quickly. Um, And the nice thing about it, too, is like it becomes this interactive, living, breathing document, too, that, um, you know, as the engagement goes on, I can actually add more information to it in this really organic way that feels, I think, really value added. I can go back and I can embed videos. I can even record a loom of myself explaining certain parts of the strategy and embed that in the document. And I think that, you know, it's it's rare, I think, that a piece of tech can actually come in and, and change, really change the way that you work and the way that you think about the potential of your projects. But I feel like moving to Notion has really helped me get a little bit more creative in the way that I deliver those strategy documents. So I feel like they're, they're faster to deliver and they actually feel more awesome. (laughs) I love that. And well, thanks to you, we have also (laughs) moved completely to Notion away from Asana. We really need to do an episode completely on that. Um, It is an amazing piece of software and it is everything that Asana is not, that has driven me crazy about Asana since the beginning. Yeah. And I think, again, the biggest, one of the biggest changes is like, I'm tracking and storing information differently. And that allows me to move quicker through projects because I have this big swipe file of samples and examples and, you know, sales pages and, and emails. Like anytime I I see someone's launch email, I'm like, that was an amazing launch email that's going in the swipe file. And so that has helped me very, very quickly pull relevant and related examples to new clients moving forward. And it's just sort of made everything a lot smoother that way. So that's been a big, um, systems changes, just sort of like, what are the personal internal uh, task and project management systems? And and how do we 
pull all sorts of disparate information together in a way that, that really makes sense. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to ask you about your experience with one of the things that I have personally experienced moving to Notion, which is that like, I can remember before we found out about Notion, before like we even started plotting that out, I kept saying to Shannon, like, okay, I get that Asana really, like, really helps you exactly like you said, Marie, with the day-to-day task management and making sure that everything gets done. But I feel like every time I get into that, I totally lose sight of the big picture and it becomes just about getting stuff done. And for me, Notion has been the complete opposite of that. It makes it gives me that big picture perspective that then I know exactly what to do. And yes, we have it written down too. But but for me, (laughs) staying connected to the big picture vision, where we're headed, what's coming six months down the line, in addition to what I have to get done today, allows me to and not just be happier, although that's an important piece of it. Um, But it also allows me, I think, to manage scale better, because I'm not just, I'm not just putting out fires. I'm actually Mm. looking, I'm building capacity through the future in the way that I'm thinking about what I'm getting done today. And so I just love your perspective on that piece between balancing the big picture and the the day-to-day tasks that Notion's allowed for you. Yeah, um, I think a big part of that, too, is sort of making that visible, right? So I have this um, planning dashboard, you could say, and it's got like the daily, the weekly, the monthly, the the big picture, like the 25 year plan. And so all of that is kind of one click away in this dashboard. And so um, I've built in these reviews and reminders as well to kind of look at great, it's, your, it's review time, let's look at that quarterly plan. Like, does that still make sense? Are things on track? Um, and then also, again, t- taking a look at that yearly picture as well. So I think making it easily accessible and making those notes and those thoughts, um, you know, kind of one click away, it definitely helps with that. Um, I do think the long-term planning is something that both Ben and I struggle with. And I think I think a part of that is because both being fairly technical people and just seeing how much technology changes so Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. I can look back and say like, there's no way I would have ever even imagined I'm doing the kind of projects that I'm doing right now. So if if I were to look at my plan, it would look like a completely different thing. And so, um, but maybe that doesn't matter, right? The idea is just sort of putting some intention behind these sort of bigger ideas of, well, what do we want our life to look like, even if it's not so specifically you know, it's going to be using this tech and it's going to be doing this product and, and that sort of thing. So I love it. Well, that's a perfect segue into my second to last question, I think. Well, who knows? Um, <laughs> but I would love to know how you guys imagine your company growing over the next few years. I asked Ben that the other day because I was I was curious his thoughts on it. I think sometimes we we both go off and we've got our own goals and we're kind of doing our own thing and we kind of operate like two companies under one company. Mm-hmm. So I was like, where where do you see our company moving? And and he was sort of saying that um, he thinks that again because technology changes so fast that there's he suspects there's going to be something that we're going to get known for, whether it's um, in the AI space or VR or something like just the way data is moving, he wonders if there might be some interesting opportunity there. Um, And again, Ben gets to work on a lot more technical custom app type stuff with larger companies and agencies. So I think he, he can sometimes see on the forefront of a different side of business than I'm seeing where I might be more in the entrepreneurial sort of self-starter space. So, um, you know, maybe it's blending something between the two. Is it something really technical, but that solves a really interesting you know, meaty, wicked problem that's happening in smaller businesses. Yeah. Do you guys have an exit strategy? Oh, I can't say. 
can't say that we do. That's okay. Yeah. I do think it's, it's maybe that's a weakness of ours too, is that we, we are a little bit more in the interim or the immediate, right? Like the, the one to two years we haven't really thought about like, yeah, what is, what does 10 years from now look like? What does that really feel like? And, And I don't know yet. All right. I was just really curious. Yeah. Um, what are you guys most excited about next? Most excited about? Um, I mean, I'm most excited because I have some really interesting, really large clients that are that are coming up um, that are kind of working at a, a way bigger level than I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Like their reach is just humongous. And so that comes with different challenges. So I'm just, I'm really excited to work with people who are working on like another level of growth. (laughs) That's incredible. Marie Poulin, thank you so much for sharing your unique perspective on scale and how it applies in your product uh, service hybrid business. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Find out more about Marie Poulin and Okie Doki at weareokidoki.com. That's weareokidoki.com. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 230 more candid conversations with small business owners at explorewhatworks.com.